your target market is really the fundamental that everything is built on. And if that's shaky and if that's vague, you're going to have a lot of problems with messaging. You're going to have a lot of problems with media because if you say your target market is everyone, well, what's a message that's going to attract everyone? And then what's a media that's going to reach everyone? And then how do we lead nurture everyone, right? So if you say it's everyone, it's really no one. We want to be super specific. Who are your people? So the big question is this, how do small business owners like us grow our leadership, develop our teams and scale our business in a way that allows us to get our products and services out to the world yet still remain profitable? That is the question and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Bradley Hamner and this is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Before we get into today's episode, did you know that Club Capital is the largest accounting and advisory firm for insurance agency owners in the country, providing monthly accounting, CFO services, and tax preparation? Check them out at club.capital. Welcome to another episode of the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. My name is Bradley Hamner, your host. On today's episode, we have Alan Dibb. He is the best-selling author of the One Page Marketing Plan and the founder of SuccessWise. This is a book I picked up a couple of years ago. I was trying to find the email or the Amazon where I, where I bought it. I can't, but this is a fantastic resource that I personally have used to be able to set our marketing plans. You're going to get a ton out of this. Highly recommend that you check out his book and go to successwise.com and get some of the free resources. But without further ado, here's my conversation with Alan Dib. Ambition is the first step towards success. It's time to level up your agency. And Coach P Consulting will help you do just that by using the same strategies he used to sell over 700 life insurance policies in 2021 alone. Now, this is not your regular one and done type coaching. You'll get personalized coaching two days a week, every week of the month, and you'll get a live look behind the scenes of his team training and an office that's performing at the highest level. There's a reason Coach P Consulting is the fastest growing coaching company for insurance agency owners in the country. Coach P will train your team alongside his own and show you the exact steps they're taking to achieve Chairman Circle, Exotic Travel, and Multi-Line Presence Club and be one of the few agents to be selected to have a third office. So whether your goal is to be at the top of your local market or amongst the best in the country, this training will give you the strategies and the tactics to get there. For just $250 a month, you'll get high-level coaching each week from someone who is already getting it done at that level and his strategies work and it's time to put them to work for you. Sign up at coachpeakconsulting.com and get your first full month for free when you mention the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Alan Dibb, welcome to the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Hey, Bradley, pleasure to be on. Excited to have you as we're talking before I hit record your book, The One Page Marketing Plan. And I was trying to go back through to when I actually picked it up a couple of years ago has actually had been a big impact to me personally. We're going to dive into that, but I really want to kind of go back. We always start with a background and origin story. So for people that are not familiar with you and kind of your work, I'd love for you to kind of take us back a little bit along your journey, how you got to where you are today, and even what led to obviously the genesis of the one-page marketing plan. It's a pleasure to be on. And Look, my origin story is probably a little bit different to a lot of marketers. I am not from a marketing background and I'm not even from a marketing kind of mindset, which is maybe why the book has been so successful. So I started my business life as a dead broke IT geek. And as an IT geek, 
you look at problems as being solvable and solvable through a repeatable, systemized process. The computer doesn't work. Okay, these are the troubleshooting steps we take. We start with step one, step two, then we try this, then we try that. And so a lot of the stuff that I read and learned about marketing was just very conceptual, very vague. Branding was this weird concept out there that no one could really define or understand. And all of this stuff about getting people to know you and awareness and all of this. To a someone from an engineering background and an engineering mind, this was very foreign concepts. And so I spent about a decade struggling in that business, trying to learn really out of necessity, how do I get customers in the door, right? I'm a good guy. I take care of customers. The customers that I've got really love us, but how do I repeatedly and reliably get new customers in the door? And so taking that engineering mindset, I'm going to solve this problem. I'm either going to solve it or I'm going to die trying. And so I attended every seminar. I read every book. I worked with coaches and all of that sort of stuff. And so that's really the genesis of where it came from, came from my own struggles to crack the game of marketing and crack the game of lead flow and, you know, all the things that flow from that, you know, like sales and things like that, which are all very much interrelated. So I did not do an MBA. I did not study in university business or anything like that. In fact, I dropped out of university. So that was really my origin story. So thankfully, I did crack the game of marketing. I grew that business. We exited very well. I built another tech business and we grew that very, very fast and became one of the fastest growing companies in the country within four years. And I exited that. And so that brings us to where I am now. So now I work with a lot of businesses who were me and were like me and are struggling with the game of marketing and I'm helping them crack that game as well. Let me ask you, do you remember the moment that you first sketched out paper, your iPad, whatever, the nine steps, which we'll get into the structure of it too. Do you remember that moment that you kind of- I actually do. I actually do. It's a really, (laughs) I've never been asked this before, but I was working with clients and consulting in a marketing capacity. And one of the things that I always got an objection from clients, because I wanted them to put together a marketing plan, too difficult, don't know where to start, all of that. And so- This is a problem, again, using my sort of engineering brain that I'm thinking, this is a solvable problem. How do we crack this problem? And so I was going out for some takeaway. I literally remember where I was going. I was getting some kebabs that night. I was driving there and I'm like, a one-page marketing plan. And then I literally pulled over the car, took out a piece of paper and pen, and I've still got that piece of paper somewhere. And I'm like, okay, what would go on a one-page marketing plan? All right, obviously target market messaging. And then it wasn't exactly what it is today, but it was very, very close. And I'm like, we could just do this all on one single page. And that would solve the problem of how we do a marketing plan quickly, easily, that make it easily shareable, easily updatable, all of those sorts of things. So that's a good question. I've not been asked that before, but I do remember that exact moment. Have you ever honestly just yourself taken a moment and thought through like that moment you pulled over and now reflect back and say like, man, that was a big moment in my life, really, because everything that has come from that experiences, the people that you've been able to meet. I think through these pivotal moments when I've made these connections and maybe I was at Starbucks or something like that and pulled over and I was like, oh my goodness, this is the thing. This is what I've been searching for. And it t- sometimes happens as you're driving to go get takeout. Totally. 
totally. There are many such moments. I mean, there are moments that you maybe in the moment you didn't think were super pivotal, but they do become that. Yeah. And sometimes you do recognize it. Sometimes you don't. It's one of those things where sometimes you can go to work, you can spend 12 hours working, you walk away from the day and you think, I had nothing done. I checked my email, I handled some fires or whatever. And then other days, you might do two or three hours of solid work and you're like, wow, I created millions of dollars of value today, yeah. right? Yeah. So you've got to kind of look for those days and plan for those days and just all the pieces kind of align. It's never just one thing. It's like, hey, something I heard from this guy, something I learned from this book, something mm-hmm. I got from this mentor or whatever, and then just the convergence of those sorts of things. Okay. So I want to ask the question that at the end of the day, whether it is a annual business plan, it's a marketing plan for the business, it's the marketing canvas. I don't even know. Maybe you have an idea of how many businesses around the globe that you all have been able to help and support. There are business owners that have taken the plan, the canvas. They've said, oh my goodness, this is great. They've put all the work into it. They lay everything out. And then it begins to collect digital dust, right? Or physical dust. And they don't ever use it. What is the difference? How do we then take, and again, we'll kind of go back. I'm going to the end here and then coming back to it. Figure out how do you actually do this to where it actually gets implemented into the business as opposed to we spend a whole day offsite, did that, and then we actually don't even do anything with it. Does that make sense? does make sense. So the whole idea of the one-page marketing plan was that it's not something that you have to have a whole day offsite to do. I mean, it's fine to do that too. Some people do, but it's literally one page. We could actually put it together in about 20 or 30 minutes if we work through your business. Yeah, sometimes a bit longer. Sometimes you already know a lot of the components, but the idea is it's not something that we look at once a year or we update once a year or once every few years or whatever. It's literally one page. So we can literally have it pinned up in our office or sitting on the desk or whatever. And then when you hire a web developer, if you hire a good web developer or if you hire a good Facebook ads person or whatever, one of the things they're going to be asking is, or they should be asking is, oh, tell me a bit about your target market. Tell me what kind of messaging is going to be important for you. Who do you want to attract? And how's the funnel going to flow and everything like that? And so you can easily share the one-page market. You can say, great, thank you for asking. Here's how one-page marketing plan explains all the high level of how we attract customers, the message that really lands with them, who our real target market is. So it's designed to be shareable. The other thing is it's easily updatable. It's one page. So literally when we get better and more information, when we say, oh, this message is actually landing better than that message that we thought was, let's update the plan. We can literally go in, edit it, and we're done. So we don't need to wait for the annual offsite. We don't need to Mm. get in an expensive consultant to help us update a 50-page plan that no one ever reads or anything like that. It's a living document that you can share at any time, edit at any time, work with your team to update all of those sorts of things. And so it's designed to be practical that we can use it day to day, update it at any time as we get better and more information. So that's the idea. And so in terms of the implementation, like anything, the way that we win at the game of marketing is the daily, weekly, monthly, right? So if I want to get strong about Two years ago, when I started going on a fitness journey, right, I was overweight, I was weak, all of those sorts of things. So how do you do that? You do the basic movements regularly, right? If I work out once a year, probably not going to help me that much. If I work out three times a week, now I'm seeing 
consistent results. I'm implementing, I'm getting things done. I'm seeing some progress. Mm -hmm. So it's really about when it comes down to it. And like I said, I try to simplify things down to their most simplest blocks is really doing the right stuff and then doing enough of the right stuff. Mm -hmm. So working out in my gym, that's the right stuff. But if I do it once a year, not doing it in enough volume and not enough consistency. So I've got to do the right stuff in the right amount of volume. That's good. Okay. So let's go over the overall structure. We're obviously not going to be able to get through the entire page study. So we'll pick out a couple of little things to kind of go deep on that we think would serve our audience. So once you walk us through, what I think is awesome is the way that it flows from a board during and after phase. It captures the entire journey that someone goes on. And oftentimes that is not even clearly defined. That even in itself gets thrown around quite a bit of the customer or client journey, but nobody ever really defines what that actually is. Yeah, absolutely. So really, when we look at the whole client life cycle, client journey, there's a before phase that and in the before phase, no one knows that you even exist, right? And so that's probably where most people spend their time in marketing, but that's really only a third of the whole marketing journey. So we want to create awareness. So we want someone to going from not knowing that you exist to now being aware of you and yeah, raising their hand and saying, I'm vaguely interested in what you've got to offer. So what that looks like in practice might, might be clicking your ad or phoning your office or submitting a form on your website or something like that. So that's kind of the before phase. They go from not knowing that you exist Mm -hmm. to now awareness. Then the during phase is right. Okay, someone now vaguely knows that you exist. How do we take them from that, nurturing them, taking them through the whole sales process, and then them making their first purchase with you? And depending on your type of business, if you're an e-commerce business, that may happen within a matter of minutes, right? Where someone adds to cart, checks out and makes the purchase. Or if you're in something that has a longer sales life cycle, like maybe B2B enterprise software, that could be six months, right? Where someone goes from vaguely interested to purchasing. And then there's the after phase. And a lot of people think, what do you mean the after phase? That's got nothing to do with marketing. That's customer service. That's delivery. That's all of that sort of thing. But that's really where the real money is made because on the front end, that's great. It's exciting to get new clients in the door and it's exciting to close sales and create a new deal. But the after phase is really where the money is made. If we can, number one, deliver a world-class risk experience so that we retain clients so that we don't have a leaky bucket where people are leaving and you know trying our product buying once or twice leaving for a competitor then increasing customer lifetime value how can we take someone from being worth a hundred dollars or a thousand dollars and make them worth ten thousand dollars over their lifetime because if we can do that then we can spend more to acquire customers so if we can increase that reliably and then How do we create a referral engine so that one customer equals multiple customers so that we have a virtuous cycle of people just referring new business to us and bringing new people and making other people aware so we turn our customers into evangelists and help us in our marketing process? It was really interesting. Whenever I got my hands on the book and I started to go through it, at first I was like, wait a minute, we're talking about a one-page marketing plan. And at the very bottom, we've got when they become a customer. And I was at first, I was like, That didn't seem to fit with marketing because I always thought about marketing on the thing. But then as I went through it, I thought, oh, you are constantly, no matter what you're doing, you're constantly reselling, having to resell the value 
of the customer. And it is so important to keep customers as much as it is to be able to get new customers, clients on the front side. And I thought that that was just really fascinating that you put that in there from a marketing perspective, because I had always seen it from, it's all about just getting new customers. I try to compare stuff in the marketing process because sometimes it's a bit conceptual to just stuff that we know and understand in real life. So for example, why do a lot of relationships fail? Because there's a lot of romance and excitement in the beginning. We love each other. We'll do anything for each other. But as time goes by, we may neglect normal things and things that we took for granted and things like that. So you have to keep falling in love. You have to keep doing the right things. You have to keep up the romance alive and all of that. Otherwise, the relationship does die or becomes close to dead or whatever else. And so the exact same thing is true in business and in marketing. I mean, customer may have been super excited about your product, got it and everything like that, but then you didn't give them a reason to stay. A lot of times clients won't leave because you did something wrong. Clients leave just because you didn't give them a good reason to stay. Somebody else wined and dined them and romanced them and everything like that. So they went away. And so very, very similar to real life. If we don't keep relationships alive, if I don't call my friend or if my friend doesn't call me on a regular basis, if I ignore my wife or don't interact with, with my wife or do the right things, I mean, our relationship would break down as well. So the exact same thing is true in business. We've got to maintain relationship. Relationships are not taken for granted and not a given. So we've got to, oh, there's, there's work to do in the back end. So you're right, you have to keep reselling and remarketing as you go. When we think about on the before and the during phases, and this may be not a fair question because I would say there's holes in all of them, but what do you see as the biggest area in general, by and large, the majority where you say, this is where most businesses are really missing the mark here. This is what we see the most. They need to focus on all the areas, but this is one that we see the most glaring opportunity for them to improve. I'll give you two. There's probably the two most common is number one is target market. So a lot of people, if they're a butcher, baker, candlestick maker, an insurance person, an accountant, a lawyer, whatever, when we say, who's your target market? They're like, everyone, right? Everyone needs insurance. Everyone needs, boy, everyone needs a doctor. And that's coming from a good place. It's like, you know, we're entrepreneurs. We want to help as many people as we possibly can. But it's a massive mistake because your target market is really the fundamental that everything is built on. And if that's shaky and if that's vague, you're going to have a lot of problems with messaging. You're going to have a lot of problems with media because if you say your target market is everyone, well, what's a message that's going to attract everyone? And then what's a media that's going to reach everyone? And then how do we lead nurture everyone, right? So if you say it's everyone, it's really no one. We want to be super specific. Who are your people? So a good way to think about it is this. So if we took all of your customers and exported them into an Excel spreadsheet, and I said to you, look, sort your customer base from best to worst. Who are the customers you love hearing from who are super profitable? They're fun to work with. They really value what you do. Just awesome customers. When you see them ringing, you're like, ah, great. It's good news. Then let's work down the list and let's look at that bottom 50% or bottom 20%. And who are the customers who are just painful? They just complain. They price shop you constantly. When you see a phone call from them, you're like, 
you send it to voicemail or you cringe or or whatever. And so there are customers who are more ideal for you than not. And so if we could spend more time, money and effort on the ideal customers, because I bet you're spending most of your resources on your suboptimal clients, on appeasing them, on following them up, on getting them to pay on time, on all of those sorts of things. So they're taking up the vast majority of your resources and the clients who are your best clients who just pay their bill when they get it, who don't complain about price, who just are fun to work with, they actually get the least of your attention. And so Mm. uh, rather than giving all your oil to the squeaky wheel, replace the squeaky wheel, right? So get rid of the clients who are causing you pain and focus more on your top 20% of clients. So in every business who tells me, hey, our clients are everyone, once we drill down, we actually find, hang on, no, there are much more ideal clients than others. Some are worth much more than others. I call this the principle of the unequal dollar, right? A lot of entrepreneurs think, hey, a dollar from a client is a dollar, right? It's a dollar in the bank account. And your bank manager will say that too. Hey, a dollar is a dollar, right? We we don't, we don't know the difference. But a dollar from an optimal client is worth way more than a dollar from a suboptimal client because the suboptimal client's going to cost you a lot more on the back end, both in money, but also in energy and in focus and in pain. So we want to focus more on our ideal clients. That's really mistake number one is thinking that going far, far too wide on your target market. Even when people think they've got it niched down, like sometimes someone will say, hey, my target market is women over 40. Okay, great. We've narrowed it down to a billion people. You can almost always niche down further and further because once you get specific, the other stuff really falls in place a lot better. We can get messaging that we can really nail. We can really get messaging that really lands with someone. We can find media that we can reach those people a lot cheaper and easier and more targeted. So that's super important. That's messaging. The other place where people really fall down, I feel is lead nurturing. And that's where they'll basically do one, two, three phone calls and that's it. They kind of fizzle out. So having a system where you can follow up leads, where you can nurture leads over the long term. So let's assume a lead is not ready to buy today. A lot of people will treat those as tire kickers. They're like, oh, I'll try tire kicker, look, come back when you're ready to buy it. But the sophisticated marketer knows that there's two buckets of prospect. There's people who are ready to buy today and that's awesome, but everybody's fighting for those people. Everyone's running ads for those people. Everyone's cold calling those people, but they make up only a very small percentage of your addressable target market. There's a much, much larger target market who are ready to buy sometime in the future. It could be 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, a year, two years time. So a sophisticated marketer knows how to build a pipeline, a systematic way to keep people warm until they're ready to buy. And that could be a year in the future, two years in the future, but you're building an asset of future clients and future revenue. Are you an agency owner looking to grow your revenue, increase your bottom line and better manage your taxes? Club Capital is here to help. Club Capital is the largest accounting and advisory firm for insurance agents in the country, providing monthly accounting, tax strategy, and CFO services. Way more than bookkeeping and your everyday run-of-the-mill tax prep, Club Capital is focused on providing financial and tax advisory services that help you plan and forecast your agency's performance. 
Their financial dashboards and agency forecasting tools help you better understand your agency's historical performance, create and measure future targets, and see how your agency compares to your peers around the country. Imagine what it would be like to understand the impact to your bottom line when deciding to hire a new employee or forecast the impact rate changes or commission rates will have on your business. With over $200 million in tracked annual revenue and $140 million in tracked annual expenses, Club Capital has the data and the team to help you make better informed decisions for your agency. They will help you turn that back office stress into the backbone of your agency's success by giving you the tools to take your agency and your leadership to the next level. Visit club.capital today to book a solution overview with one of our business consultants. Club Capital, way more than a CPA firm. Have you ever thought, wouldn't it be incredible if you had direct access to our expert podcast guest in real time and be able to ask a question specific to your business? Well, now you have the opportunity to do that. After three and a half years, we're finally launching a leadership podcast community, and we want you to be a part of it. We're launching this podcast community on June the 1st. Go to club.capital forward slash podcast, and you'll get all the details. You'll be able to interact with every single one of the podcasts that we record in real time and ask us questions and be able to ask the guest questions. In addition to that, we're going to have a monthly exclusive Q&A just for our leadership podcast listeners. Go to club.capital forward slash podcast. That's club.capital forward slash podcast and be one of the very first to join. I can't wait to see you in our leadership podcast community. Okay, I'm going to go back to the first one that you mentioned. One of the things that was helpful to me around ideal is I used to think of it as, well, either someone who ends up becoming a client or a customer is either ideal or they shouldn't become a customer. But one of the things that I saw, and might have been dim, I'm not really sure, they had almost a bell curve. And it was like, here's mm-hmm. ideal. And on the outer edges, here's acceptable, right? Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, that was really helpful visual to say, we're not, we're going to turn away money, but yes. we also understand we're not targeting these people on the other ends of the bell yes. curve. Do you agree with that? I agree with that. And a lot of people are like, hey, do I, should I be turning people away? Sometimes the answer is yes, but sometimes the answer is that's fine. Look, if a non-ideal client is coming to you and you're willing to take them on, great. But where are we going to allocate our scarce resource? Because that's mm-hmm. really the role of the entrepreneurs to figure out where are we going to allocate cash? Where are we going to allocate talent? Where are we going to allocate time, money, and energy? And so who are we actively going to go after? And that's got to be your ideal client. You can't spend time, money, energy, talent going after suboptimal clients. If they come to you and you're willing to take it on, fine, no problem. We can take that on. But who are we actively going to go after? Who are we going to wake up in the morning and say, right, I want more of these kind of clients and create activities around that? Yeah, that makes sense. And What are some, well, I'll ask it this way on the lead nurture. And that makes a lot of sense because I was thinking through my own businesses and I was like, see, we do, I think a pretty doggone good job on the front side of when someone comes and fills out a form and then we're on them, you know, that way. And then we're following up with them or whatever, but that three to six month to nine month period of time, it tails off and say, oh, they've gone completely cold and we haven't architected anything to make sure we're in touch with them. What is a logical blend between a automation, okay, so an email part that's just going out 
and also something that is part of a system, but it requires a manual. I'm going to call them. I'm going to pick up the phone and call them, or I'm going to text them. How do you see that as part of the lead nurture system overall? And I know that that may differ depending on the value of the client, right? If we're selling a $99 a month software, we probably are not necessarily doing that. We could do things more automated in that way. Versus if you're selling a $20,000 program, certainly picking up the phone six months later and touching base with them is probably a good idea. Does that make sense? Totally. That makes 100% sense. So a couple of things. So I think of a lot of people talk about automation and bots and email sequences and all of that. And I love all of those things. Now, the way I see those things is like an Iron Man suit. So if ever anyone's watched the movie Iron Man, it's just a normal geeky guy, Tony Stark. He puts on the Iron Man suit and that gives him a lot of leverage, a lot of powers that he didn't have otherwise. But it doesn't replace him. It's not doing the work instead of him. Now, he can fly, he can shoot lasers, he can do whatever. He's got a lot of skills. And that's the way I see technology and marketing automation. So it augments our abilities and it gives us leverage, but it doesn't replace us. So I'll give you an example. So we have, with many of our clients, we've set up long-term nurturing sequences. By long-term, I mean it could be a nurturing sequence that drips out over six or nine or 12 months or whatever else. Now, a lot of what we do in our email nurture sequences is stimulate people to reply to emails. A lot of people send out emails from info at or sales at or whatever, or the worst is no reply at. And I'm like, why would you not want a prospect to reply to one of your nurturing emails? It's the craziest thing I've ever We do not want you to contact us. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I think on your Amazon, it says, don't read this book if you hate money. It's like, we hate money. (laughs) Exactly. Well, it would be like opening up a physical store and then paying rent and fitting it out and all of that, and then shutting the front door and locking it so no one could come in. So, what we do is we send emails from a person. So in the case of my business, I'm sort of the face of the business and it comes from Alan at, and we actually encourage replies. We're like, hey, hit reply if this resonates with you or or hit reply, tell me about some challenges you're having in your business or whatever. And every single day we get replies. And sometimes someone's been on my list for maybe six months, a year, two years, and something resonated with them, or now is the right time in their business and in their life. And they put their hand up and say, look, I'm interested in coaching, or I'm interested in consulting, or hey, tell me more about your course or whatever. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to stimulate conversions because we're trying to stimulate conversations because mm. conversations lead to conversions. That's a very, very important point. So what we want to do is during the nurturing process, we want to do stuff that will stimulate conversations because conversations will lead to conversions. So mm. we do that via email. And like I said, sometimes just someone from my team doing a phone call with all the tech wizardry and all of that, people are actually getting a lot less phone calls than that, than they ever did. And so mm. sometimes just picking up the phone and having a conversation with them sounds pretty simple, but fewer and fewer people are doing that than ever before. So the point is, Imagine you've got a hot prospect who's going to buy from you definitely, but they're not going to buy for a year or they're not going to buy for two years. If you do nothing, they're likely going to forget who you are, where you're from or whatever, right? 
that in two years' time, they'll type into Google whatever product or service that you're doing and find someone. They'll be that small percentage of people who are ready to buy today. But if you've created a relationship with them over time, if you've nurtured them, if they're aware of you, they know you like you, trust you, and now they're ready to buy. I mean, you've created a pipeline of future leads and future revenue that's super, super valuable. And a lot of your content can stimulate that as well. What do you think, and maybe you can answer this for your own business. So I'm not asking for numbers. I'm thinking more percentages that of people that come in and they have just heard about your book. They listen to this podcast, they go buy the book and next thing, hyper buyer podcast, book, course in coaching, right? I know you see that happen all the time, but then there's, what is the percentage just generally back in the neck and stuff of that versus people who are more okay, I'm listening to podcasts. Yeah, I think I'll buy the book. And then three, six, nine months later, what do you see that as? Yeah, it's about 10x. So there's about 3% of your target market who's kind of really hot and ready to buy today. And so 3% is not a big percentage, Mm -hmm. but there's probably about 30 to 60% of your target market who are interested in what, what you've got to say, interested in following you, interested in hearing more from you. But they're just not ready today for whatever reason. Maybe it could be budget, it could be timing, it could be something's going on in their life. Think back to the last major purchase you bought, maybe a car, maybe a house, maybe some expensive item or whatever. You probably didn't wake up that morning or hear it on a podcast and think, oh, I'm buying this today, right? So you, you probably researched it. You probably thought, do I want an electric car? Do I want a fuel-powered car? Do I want an SUV? Do I want a compact or whatever? And hey, this car looks really cool and maybe I'll take that one for a test drive. So your buying cycle, it could be months, right? But if you show up to the car dealership, most car dealerships are like, hey, what can we do to get you in a car today? And if you're don't not ready to buy today, you're a tire kicker, right? So- that is such a good example. And I'll pivot it slightly. I'm actually in the market right now for a golf cart to right. use in the neighborhood. Drive up to the pool at summertime nice. here travel down to Starbucks, whatever. I really want to spend about 8,000, but so eight to $10,000 purchase. I have been looking at this for a month. I've gone to two dealerships. I haven't gotten a single follow-up call and they didn't even ask me for my information when I was there. And furthermore, now Facebook knows and Facebook (laughs) marketplace and other things know that I'm looking at it because it keeps throwing algorithm stuff at me, whatever. But you start to I'm learning, okay, I want a 72-volt lithium battery. I don't want a 48-volt. All those kind of things along the way. So I'm curating this down versus if they had gotten my information, lead nurture, and then they would have said, what are you in the market for? Hey, we just had one come in. They could make a sale if they found out the exact one that I'm looking for. I think that's such a good like, parallel. 100%, 100% right. And now you're having to do a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of the research. But what if they handed it on a silver platter? They said, look, hey, this is the difference between this type of lithium battery and this type of lithium battery. And here are the pros and cons of this 100%. type and this type. That'd make your life a lot easier. That'd be genuinely helpful. And so a lot of what people think marketing is, hey, it's interruption, it's pushing and all of that. But I see marketing as being part of your product, part of being helpful. How can Mm -hmm. I help my target market be more successful or get the result that they actually want? So how can I actually create something of value that will actually help them, whether they buy from me or not, because that's just going to create so much goodwill with them. Yeah. In our remaining time, I want to go to stimulate referrals. So I want to talk about that aspect of it. It's number nine as part of the one page marketing plan. And a lot of our listeners 
would say if you ask them, hey, what do you do to get leads? What's part of your market plan? And if you ask them to lay out their top three to five, one of them would almost from the majority of our listening audience would say referrals. And then you ask them, well, show me what is your referral playbook, right? And they're like, we don't really have one, right? Give us some best practices around stimulating referrals and actually doing a good job of getting quality referrals and then converting those to to clients. So you're 100% right. A lot of times when you talk to a client, they're like, yeah, we got a lot of our business from referrals. And then, okay, what are you doing to actually stimulate referrals? So that last chapter in my book, I've called it orchestrate and stimulate referrals, right? It kind of implies that it's something active. It's not hope and pray for referrals, which is what most (laughs) people do. And so what a lot of people do is they're like, look, if I do a really good job, then hopefully people will talk about me and tell other people. And that happens, maybe that doesn't. But I can think of many times when I was really happy with some product or service, but I never really referred anyone to them just because I'm busy. I'm getting on with my life and I'm using that product or getting on with whatever I'm doing. And so I'm looking at a Sony camera right now. It's a great camera. I love it. And it works really, really well. But I haven't gone around kind of referring people to Sony and saying, hey, you should buy this camera. I mean, if someone asks me what's a good camera, I'll I'll tell them. But I'm not actively going and referring people. So what you want to do is you want to create a system that makes it easy for someone to refer you, but more importantly, so that they look good referring you. So what Mm. I mean by that is a lot of people feel like if I ask for referrals, it's kind of like I'm being needy, I'm begging for business, all of that sort of stuff. And if you frame it as them doing you a favor, then it is that way, right? If you're like, hey, look, Bradley, please do me a favor. Would you help me out and just share my book with everybody in your network and all of that? That's really poor positioning. And you're kind of like asking for a favor and all of that sort of stuff. But Mm. if we frame it in a way that makes them look good. So if I sent you 10 copies of my book and I said, look, here's a gift that you can give to anyone in your network. Now, that's completely different because now you've got something of value. So a book is worth notionally, what, $20 or whatever they sell it for on Amazon. And now you giving something of value, and books generally don't get thrown away. It's almost a sin to throw out a book. So if you gave a book and someone's struggling in marketing in your network and you said, look, hey, here, read Alan's book. Here's a free copy. That actually makes you look good, doesn't it? So Mm. you've given them something of value. You've given them essentially maybe $20 of value or whatever else. You've created a situation where you're thinking and concerned about them and helping them out. Now, that's a totally different thing than me saying, hey, look, help me out. I'm really trying to get more copies of the book out there or whatever. So what I'm trying to basically say is how can you arm your referral network so that they look good making referrals so Mm. that they can pass something of value on so that they're not just doing you a favor by referring you, but they're doing a favor to themselves so that they're looking really good in the referral process. Because most people, and we all are, we're self-focused and we want to increase our status within our network, right? So if I can help a friend or colleague or client or whatever, that increases my reputation with them. Every time I interact with Alan, he's helpful, he provides a lot of value or whatever. So it's engineering those kind of scenarios. So how can you arm your referral network? The other thing is being pretty intentional and open about it. So part of the onboarding process with a client might be, look, Bob, you are an absolute ideal 
customer for us. And we know that birds of a feather flock together. And so we get most of our business and we can keep our prices very reasonable because we work on referrals. So we're going to do an amazing job for you. And I'd massively appreciate it if you could refer me to people who are in a similar situation to you, because we're going to help you out. We're going to help you solve this problem that we're working on. And if you've got some other people, so really upfront, rather than what a lot of people do is kind of surprising their prospect afterwards after the delivery they're like hey and you know can you help me find some prospects or whatever or can you help me find some other people who might be interested just being very open about it just saying look this is a big part of our marketing engine and it's how we can keep our prices reasonable and we know that you would probably know other people in a similar situation to you man that is so good one question on that where are your thoughts around incentivizing asking for the names. Okay, so I'll just be like this. A lot of times it's been to say, oh, we're so glad to have you on, glad to have you as a customer. By the way, if you give us five names, we'll give you a $10 gift card, something like that, right? And sometimes that is the referral. (laughs) That's the orchestration and stimulation of the referrals is basically that. Here's this page, write these names down, whatever. And it seems like that could be okay to feel free to give referral, but it seems like People can't just be bought to give, like, go to my phone and and, and throw out the names of my best friends, so right. to speak. I mean, I know some people would do it. What are your thoughts around that? Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of it. I like doing it in retrospect. So, for example, hey, you referred me a new client. I'd write you a handwritten note, say, hey, Bradley, thanks so much, and maybe even give you a gift or something like that. I think in terms of being explicit about it, look, in some industries and in some products that may work. and particularly if someone's an affiliate or something like that, you can be very upfront about it. That's kind of their work and what they do, all of that sort of thing. So that can work well. But the other aspect is, let's say you referred me to a new chiropractor or something like that. And then I found out you got a $100 gift card for, for doing that. I would be thinking, you know, did Bradley refer me to this guy because he got the $100 gift card or does he mm. really think this guy's a good chiropractor? So it kind of compromises the relationship a little bit. So I think people would be motivated much more by raising their status within their group rather than a little bit of a gift card or something or other. So I would rather do that in retrospect. And like I said, it depends on the product, depends on the service, depends on who the referrer is and what kind of system you have in place. But for most people and for most businesses, I think those transactional kind of setups generally don't work super well. That makes a lot of sense to me. And I think I would agree with that because then if the person is referring because they say, no, this has been genuinely helpful to me. You should read this book, buy this course, join this program, join this mastermind, whatever that may be, because it's actually, they it was a world-class experience. It was really helpful to me. And then you send me a gift as a thank you for it. Well, I wasn't expecting that. And that even maybe makes me even more inclined to want to send people to because it was like, oh, I was doing it because it genuinely helped me. Most of the time, I don't need the gift card. I'm doing it because it was actually genuinely helpful or whatever. So, yeah. Totally. And I mean, just think about the last time you recommended a restaurant to a friend or you saw a cool movie mm-hmm. and you should watch this movie or I've been binge watching Succession, right? And so, yeah, I've told other friends, man, yeah, you, you watch Succession season four yeah. or whatever. And no one incentivized me to do that. But I know if my friend 
watches succession and enjoys it a lot or whatever again that raises my status in the pack or if he goes to the restaurant that i really enjoyed and he goes man i had such a great time what, what a great restaurant again that makes me feel good that it deepens our relationship rather than the restaurant incentivizing me or hbo <laughs> creating some referral program or whatever right so really i'm thinking about how can this deepen my relationship with my friend or how can I raise my status within my social group? And that's a super important way of thinking about it rather than just thinking about it transactionally. Yeah. Well, that's a good way for us to close out because I genuinely have loved the book. <laughs> it is absolutely impacted the way that we think about in our businesses for sure. And so I can absolutely recommend not only just getting the book, but also reaching out to your team. In fact, where would you point them to if they want to connect with you, learn more about the book, the courses, and the things that you guys have to offer to be able to support business owners? Sure. So the book is available where all books are available, Amazon, all of that. The book is super popular on audio, on Audible. So you can get it on audible.com. Our website is successwise.com and you can learn about everything that we do. We've got a range of training and coaching and consulting programs there and you can get a lot of free info there. You can get the one-page marketing plan canvas and join our email list. We email a couple of times a week with really helpful marketing tips and things like that. So even if you never want to buy anything from us, I'd recommend um, joining our mailing list and you'll get a lot of good information. Awesome. Alan, you've been great, man. I hope to have you back on in the future. Appreciate you. My pleasure, Bradley. All right. So two or three things that I took away from this, I think number one, is whenever we talked about making it a living document and something that you use on a regular basis as opposed to something that just collects digital dust or sits there and you spent an hour putting it together, but then it was like, okay, you know, we don't actually use it. So I think making it a living document, number one, I think whenever he went through, what are the areas that tend to not be as looked at as much? Target market, who is our target market? Really specifically diving into who do we serve? Who is our best customers? Who is maybe our worst customers? And clearly defining and articulating that. It's a good reminder. I think number three then is, I mean, if you heard him say 3% of the customers of your target market are going to buy immediately or soon, that might be low for some of you. But I think it more speaks to the fact that, yeah, majority of people are going to buy three months, six months, nine months, and our one-page marketing plan, does it clearly articulate what our plan is to be able to convert those leads into clients or into customers at that period of time? I think that it's easy to have as part of your sales process, what are we going to do whenever we initially get a lead? We got to walk in, we got to call in, we get an online lead. This is what we're going to do. It's made me think about what are we going to do six months later? Somebody wants to join Blueprint, as an example. What is that going to look like whenever we have an initial conversation? They decide now's not the right time. What does that look like? Do I actually have that down? The answer is no. I got to think through that. Those were some of my key takeaways. Great having Alan on. He's in Australia, as you can tell from his accent, but he's a stud. And I think he's got an awesome book and some really good courses. I enjoy learning about this stuff too. Hope you did as well. Big shout out to our podcast sponsors, Autopilot Recruiting, Coach P Consulting, and Club Capital. Go to club.capital to 
find out how you can start to leverage your financials to be able to make better decisions in your business, such as do I have the money right now to be able to hire more people? Do I want to staff up and bring on two sales acquisition person, people or a couple of account managers, maybe even a marketing person? But if I need help to be able to do that, I know I need to do it, but how do I do go about finding A players? Everybody talks about A players, A players. Well, how do you find A players? You got to do it consistently. And that's where autopilot recruiting comes in and they now have a concierge onboarding process to be able to help you make it a great experience for your team. Go to autopilotrecruiting.com. And then you know the value of investing in your team. That is not a surprise to anyone. And you know the value of investing in yourself. If you've listened to this podcast, you certainly do that. Go to coachpconsulting.com. He's going to let you in on an entire free month. That's eight trainings for you and your team to be able to attend and you'll be able to get the agent only call that happens once a month for free just for giving him a shot. Go to coachpconsulting.com. All right, everyone. Till next episode, lead well.